Hello and welcome to Horror. This is a fortnightly podcast in which myself, Lee, and Adam will be taking our friend Chris on a journey through the twisted world of horror cinema in the hopes of introducing him to some of the many delights the genre has to offer. The premise is very simple. We will sit down together and watch a film. As soon as it's finished, we will sit down and record the podcast immediately afterwards. As such, it will be very spoiler-heavy, and we do suggest you watch the film yourself before listening to the podcast, not only so we don't spoil it, but also so you know exactly what we're talking about. At the end of each discussion, we'll decide what film we'll be watching next, and we'll let you know so you have a fortnight to watch it yourselves, and then come on our journey with us again. Along the way, there will be facts, laughs, opinions, probably quite a lot of swearing. Any full frontal nudity will be completely irrelevant, as this is audio only. So, with the introduction over, it's now time for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, so, evening, welcome to Horror, yet again. Um, we have just finished watching The Legend of Hell House. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, didn't remember it as well as I thought I did. There was a lot more going on than I remembered. Um, but you weren't so mixed up that you actually had the wrong film completely? No, 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 I definitely had the right film. But uh, Yeah, there was a lot more going on than I remembered with the plot which is always good mm. so Chris what did you make of it? I really liked it I thought it had great intensity and it was very highly focused on the four characters mm. and mm. I thought they were all different enough and the way they played off each other and it started off I suppose on the side of the scientist mm. it gave a sense that he was going to be figuring out about um, you know the the secret of the house but then mm. it wasn't clear at some points it seemed like maybe he was a bit of a bad guy um, and yeah you weren't sure who to trust out of all of them yeah um, so yeah so overall I really liked it um, I, I, there's a lot of close up I like the dialogue um, mm. but the bit that I wasn't quite sure about was seemed a little bit like they'd almost proven that there was something supernatural but he explained it as if it was a diffuse energy Mm. but that wasn't really explained scientifically I suppose so it seems like that's supernatural enough that you could probably walk out at that point and say it definitely has something weird going on here yeah yeah that was the only bit that I felt I'm quite sure about. I think it probably wouldn't stand up to a real scientific rigor. No, but because I, I quite like, I like, like you say, I think everyone in it's quite human. Mm. In so much as no, there's no, there's no obvious. There's, sometimes they're doing wrong. Sometimes they're doing right. Yeah, and in effect, the doctor and both the mediums kind of together figure it out yeah so he's not completely right they're not completely right and it just sort of yeah that was a good 
yeah. kept the puzzle going. Mm. Really. Um, as you say, it was quite nice the way that you could, as you say, you could see it from each of their point of views. Yeah. Mm. So as you say, at first it's like, oh, well, the science, the science guy has obviously got his head, and yes. he's not, yeah, but he he's seems still in being a jerk to he her wants, just yeah. because he doesn't believe the same as her. Yeah. But she equally gets very narky with him early on. And yeah, as you say, it's, you understand each of them equally, mm. but they're all coming at it from such completely different angles. Yeah. And I thought it worked really well in that respect. Mm. I thought it was... Well, I mean, it's... I mean, what, I mean, certainly in terms of, like, story economy, um, there's, there's literally six people in the whole movie. Yeah. Mm. Which you don't... I don't, I don't think it's... I don't think it's one of those films where you think that. No. If you see what I mean. You, yeah, you it doesn't feel like a closed set film, but as you mm. say, it's only when you get to the very end and then go, there, no, there's yeah. nobody in this, really. Yeah. There's just... There's a, literally... There's six people in it. There's the four people who go and investigate and the guy who pays them to investigate. So I... I yeah, his assistant. Yes. Yeah. And Michael Goff, that, right yeah. at the very oh, end. Oh, yeah, of course. So, yeah. So I was, at one point, I was thinking... Like, after what's just happened why exactly are they still staying in this house mm. and then he reminded me by saying I'm going to get my 100,000 I'm out of it yeah. I was like yeah, yeah okay that's why yeah. you're doing this in a kind of crazy yeah. I'm about to die again sort of way <laughs> but again even even down to that everyone's staying for different reasons yeah. in so much as he just wants to make his money and get out of there um uh, the um, she uh, yeah Tanner yeah, yeah Mrs. Tanner Miss Tanner wants emotionally is, yeah she's invested yeah. she wants to help mm. what the, she thinks is, is a tortured soul yeah, yeah. And, and then the scientist wants to stay to the end to prove mm. once yeah. his machine is complete that it definitely works yeah and and kind of his is its reputation. It's someone. It's the funding to get that machine built. Mm. Yeah, and sort of. Yeah, it's um, no. I think it's it's a, it's an oddly for for what it is, and also just for even for the title, mm. it's an oddly mature and actually quite mm. characterful. Sort of, you know, it's very yeah. um, well done in that sense. Yeah, uh, Roddy McDowell is fantastic in so that. Which one is that? Who's uh, uh, Fisher? Yes. The the, okay. the 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 survivor from the yeah, previous. So uh, incident. I liked the way that he changed um, because he starts off seeming quite odd, mm. and then I noticed um, it's quite a good effect that when he took his glasses off um, and sort of took on more of a personality of the house, I suppose, or when he starts to fight against it, yeah, mm. you know, it changes quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I thought that worked quite well. See, I'm now I sort of the I I came up with this the other day. I am regarding Roddy McDowell as even though he was uh, even though he's British born, mm. I'm regarding Roddy McDowell as an American John Hurt. <laughs> mm. It's those same sort of roles, yeah. you know, sort of interesting where it's um, sort of strong. Strong and weak mm. yeah. at the same point. Well, yeah, like his, his character in Fright Night. Yes. He's exactly the same. Yeah. He's got that same. He's struggling, he's just an actor, he's a has been, and whatever. Yeah. But at the end, he's still the one who comes out and beats the vampire. Yeah, at the he's end still. Of the movie. Yeah. Peter Vincent. 
Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. so that sounds like another one that we need to watch. That is a fantastic Actually, yeah, a movie. I've, I've not watched for a, uh, a real long time. I've seen so. it twice in the last year, I think. <laughs> but I'm more than happy to watch it again because mm. it's such a good film. <laughs> well, so Legend of Hell House, it's 1973, so mm. same year as The Exorcist, I think. Yes. And yeah, it, 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 it did have a, a few bits that I suppose of the poltergeist type of and yeah. people being possessed a bit and yeah. yeah. Oh, ju- sorry, just another thing that I noticed that I hadn't noticed. I think I had noticed it previously, but I'd forgotten all about it. But yeah, how little score there is in this film. Mm. There's that massive soundscape that they have mm. every time they build the atmosphere. Instead of yeah. building it with music, it it's that building wind followed yeah. by that banging. Yeah. See, that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm obsessed with the film is because the two people who do the soundscape are Delia Derbyshire and mm. Brian Hodgson. Mm. They are from the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Oh, really? Who did obviously loads of stuff like on Doctor Who. Yeah. But they are probably the two most fundamental people involved in Doctor Who in terms of its sound because Delia Derbyshire created. The, t- the opening titles, the oh, really? original opening titles, with just out of tape loops and sweeps and wow. things. Uh, it was it was composed by a uh, by a, a guy. I mean the Doctor Who. Yeah, the Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. Yeah, and it was composed by. What did I say? Did I say? No, no, I just did say. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the very original, like 1963, mm-hmm. the first title music, which is very. You know that sort of very weird sound, and it was composed. It was composed. It was composed by a guy called Ron Grainer, but Delia Derbyshire. He actually tried to get her uh, credit on it mm. because when she she basically built it out of tape loops of bass lines and sweeps and just everything. She basically was like half half musician, half mathematician, mm. and she was like. Seriously, she was cutting like the tapes by ruler oh, and getting the loops that way, and knowing wow. and pitch bending. So the bass, like the bass line of Doctor Who, is one bass plucked, and then she pitched it down and everything. Wow. And this is before sequences, yeah. before samplers. This was all done on reel to reels, like a bank of reel to reels in a studio. In fact, I think they didn't even have. When she did it, I don't think they actually had the machine that synced them up yet. So you just had to get everyone in and go, right, now, and and do the thing. That shows over the right creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, and Delia Dobbish was just a a genius. She had, um, there was a lampshade she was obsessed with, which I think is in this, because she she had this, like, um, uh, metal lampshade that she put on a lot of uh, stuff. And basically, she uh, would strike it. She took the attack off it completely, hmm. and you'd just get this sort of, which is just the sound dissipating through it. And she'd slow it down, and manipulate it, wow. and everything. Hmm. And then Brian Hodgson, who did it, who did, uh, who was the other uh, contributor on, in the soundscape, he created the noise of the TARDIS taking off, <laughs> which was a door key down um, the bass strings of. Of a gutted piano, oh, God. and then just again manipulated, processed. It's so clever. It's a, I mean, such an art form. Some of their stuff was unbelievable, and like they went on to do, um, oh, what was it? Uh, they went, they went on to do an album 
with a guy called David Vorhouse called White Noise, mm. which was essentially, again, it was like a 60s pop record version of The Legend of Hell House. It's that <laughs> sort of just noise, so, yeah. you know, just... But they were... Yeah, I mean, and that's, again, that was like one of the first reasons I consciously watched The Legend of Hell House. I think I'd seen it late one night, and then it was like, oh, no, I've got to go back to that now. Yeah. and soak in the sound they actually released I think they released because it's all in all it's probably round about 10 minutes of sound yeah that they used throughout it and um, yeah they released it on like a vinyl a few years back but wow like EP but um, yeah I think good luck getting it now but getting it all, yeah and, and I didn't rea- what I didn't realise however is that there's uncredited doing the music doing little bits of music is a guy called Dudley Simpson hmm. who again is from uh, from Doctor Who. He basically was the he pretty much was the the house composer of Doctor Who throughout the seventies. Wow! And you, the more conventional little bits, like the sort of little bits of oboe and the little bits of, sort mm. of percussion and things like that, um, that's him. And you can uh, now knowing it's him, I can so hear that. Because it just sounds like creepy Tom Baker music. Yeah, but there's no, it's not, it isn't like an actual score. As no. I say, it will just be mm. two or three notes yeah. on an oboe or something, and then nothing for two mm. minutes, and then somebody will go into a room and it will just be two or three piano keys. Yeah. But there's no actual big sound. No, it's there's just th- hinted at. It's so well done, it's mm. fantastic. And I think that they. Um, but I think, and I would assume that it's their connection is why Dudley Simpson was brought in just to add those little bits or yeah. whatever. But um, but uh, but I think it also, like you were saying about what makes it realistic, where you've got the dates and times yeah. coming up all, all the way through it, mm. and I think that the lack of score or, or the lack of a, a sort of, like you say, like a, a conventional score. Yeah adds to that almost documentary mm. feeling. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, the one thing I did discover ages and ages ago, which is if you're watching 24-hour rolling news when something really bad is kicking off, is you can put it on silent and put your own soundtrack on. Yeah. But otherwise, the news doesn't tend to have any... Yeah. You know, it does, doesn't have a score unless it's CNN, obviously. I noticed as well, the, um, the, the shooting... There was a lot of it, as you said, there was a lot of very close-up mm. shots, a lot of, lot of smash cuts to people's mm. reactions and stuff. The other thing I liked is they had some they had some kind of a lens where the centre was in focus and everything else was slightly blurry, mm. so it was like slightly dreamscape. But mm. it was really good for holding your attention on, on the- an item in a screen. Mm. So it would be a big shot of the room... But only a very small part of it's in focus. Without even noticing, you're you're just drawn to that small section. Yeah. Um, it's not. It, it wasn't like a depth of field thing where the person is in focus and everything behind is out. No. It, it was actually, you know, they're all in the same foreground, but yeah. only a part of it but is focused. Yeah. The rest is slightly blurry and more. Which quite, which kind of adds also to that. Um because there's the bit which is prob- probably I don't know why I just find it the creepiest bit which is just the when the record's been playing yeah. and he just says well he could he used to he could have walked right past us and we didn't notice and the lovely thing is is they don't do any like they don't do any sort of 
entity POV. Yeah, yeah. Or anything like that. And they're all just close up there. Yeah. And you think, and it's not even one where you could, like, nowadays scroll back and just go, oh, oh yeah, no, look, there was a fleet in yeah. thing or whatever. You just have to go, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah. But you've no way of proving it any more than they do. Yeah. So you're never in a position to know more than them. Yeah. You know, you follow their investigation with them mm. rather than being that aware. Mm. I mean, you know bad shit's happening. Yeah. So we're, prob- we're probably a few steps ahead of Florence Tanner um, and probably a few steps ahead of everyone in terms of, look, shit's going to go down. Yeah. With the possible exception of Fisher, who just from yeah. the get goes just no. It's gonna be bad. Yeah, this is the, I. But then actually, I mean, um, yeah, I I um, uh, I conducted my research. Oh, excellent! Mm-hmm. And I read. Adam is holding up the book of Hell House for the benefits of the tape. <laughs> Mr. Thomas is holding up the book, the legend. Of, uh, well, not the legend, just Hell House mm, yeah. by Richard Matheson. And yeah, I read the whole thing. And, Go you. And um, well, leave behind if you like, wouldn't you? <laughs> actually, funnily enough, I was going to bequeath it to you, sir. Oh really? I've I've read it now, so oh, I thought it would be. Just, and I know you love the film, so I do love. Oh, you're very sweet. I was only joking. I think no, no, no. I genuinely thought. And I mean, having read it, the film really is is very close. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of changes. I mean, in terms of um, for a start, it's set in America, right? In in the book, um, uh, but and, and as the reason we're basically watching this is because obviously we watched Devil Rides Out, adapted by Richard Matheson. Yep. And this is this was also adapted by Richard Matheson from his own book Hell House yep. by by Richard Matheson, which was actually only published in 1971, so it was only out two years before oh, the really? film. So. There's, uh, but like I say, there's a lot. I think Richard Matheson, obviously, because I mean, as we went through last episode, he's been he did so much sort of script writing and adapting of his own work. Mm. I think he's only too aware of what you can do in a book versus what you can do in a film. Yes, and there's certain things that would have just. I mean, now they'd probably be silly. But back then, if you did have tried to do it with the effects, it would have just been poor. Yeah. And there's... Because at one point, there is a creeping hand. Okay. Um, like a disembodied hand, like thing. Yeah. And um, that... Yeah, but it, it's that, sure it that, yeah. 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 I, I think so much being left to the imagination yeah. really, uh, really helps with mm. it. I think that's one of the things I like most about this, is mm. the fact that you... You don't, you don't ever actually see anything. Again, it's no. back to like the, you know, the haunting. Mm. It's that thing of it, there's sounds and there's doors banging and yeah. things fall over, but there's never apart from when she has that weird vision of the brass statue that's on the ceiling. Yeah, like there's and that, that could be in her head. And yeah, issue, yeah, that's kind of implies that it's yeah. affecting her yeah. mental state and stuff. I suppose the other thing is when Mr. Tanner gets cut a lot. That sort of the, yeah, the, the, yeah. That physical, physical but again, it's like hit the um, the scientist suspects that it might be her doing it to herself. I think. Yeah. yeah. Or, well, it, I mean, certainly because because they think. I mean, this is just going from from the yeah, book. Yeah. Okay. And as, as I say, the book follows pretty closely to uh, to the film. Hmm. Um, but 
But one thing it does give you, which is great, is a lot of insight into the state of mind of people mm, and things like yeah. that. And uh, there's a couple of interesting changes. Um, in the book, Dr. Barrett is, uh, has a walking stick. And okay. he is, he's had polio and is affected and it's affected him so that brings it back to the whole exactly the whole legs cripple sort of thing you know and but so he's he's got polio and um he's i mean it's kind of he yeah him and um him and his wife are sort of fairly close in age but in the book she's much younger and he's much older yeah and really they don't really have sort of much of a sex life or anything yeah. like that it's, and, and that it, kind it of does plays into a bit of an impression yeah. really in the yeah. film yeah. yeah and that sort of plays into the whole thing where it's like because obviously so, yeah, she's coming on to Fisher yeah. and that whole and it's the sort of the debauch the sort of debauchery and the sort of perviness generally mm. of the Hell House is affecting them all in different ways mm. and and the uh, one of the most interesting things I think, because it doesn't, it's not done in the film at all, is um, uh, you get like one line I think that does it. But um, Fisher is um, when he first went there, he was only a child. He was like thirteen. If, yeah, she, she, she does say you think you, you might, yeah, when, you're when you're fifteen. 15. You might, yeah. yeah, and it's um, but it's meant to be that he was a. Um, he was like a sort of child prod- prodigy in mediumistic terms. Okay. And that's why he was taken to Hell House because he'd already ta- you know he'd already done Pretty loads of, a lot of yeah. like physical manifestations that kind of thing. And um, yeah, interesting. And so he goes to Hell House. In, in like he goes with the original party. He is literally the only survivor. He's found shivering outside, like the front door to die of hypothermia, essentially. Yeah and fortunately people find him and then because of his experiences there he's by the time of by the time of this investigation mm. he's actually been discredited and what he does is he basically um, because of what happens to him he starts faking phenomena to be discovered so that he doesn't have to do it anymore Okay. So that no one's going to ask him to have to go through yeah, being that, that. So in a way, he's he's on his uppers. That's why he's sort of like he's just like right. I'll take the money and run because he's just been. He's basically just. That's he, it, he's, it, it's almost like a sort of. It's almost like a child star. Yeah. Mm. You know, which I suppose I mean, Roddy Madell was acting from where he was like I think ten. Was his first film well so reflecting so it yeah, might sort of have an element of that although obviously he sort of maintained a career but, mm-hmm. it, but it's that same sort of thing of like you know you've had all that success at a young age and and but he's willingly rejected it because he just doesn't want this to happen yeah. anymore so it's funny it, I didn't I noticed how much his character this time reminded me of the brother of the house owner from House on Haunted Hill yeah, who plays effectively the same character? Mm. I'm going to let you in. You can all do all whatever you like. You mm. can all have the time of your lives. But this house will kill you all. I am getting out before all the mm. shit goes down. And it's exactly that same, exactly well, th- that same feel. I think also because he's because um, there's uh, another weird thing that's in the book that isn't isn't in the film is 
Um, when they first go there, there's no electricity. And the first night is done entirely by candlelight. Oh, wow. Which, which in a weird way, I think probably over-exit a bit. Yeah. You know, but I think... I think rightly again it's sort of like it's actually slightly more creepy that you've got electric lights and so, you know you can light the room but that doesn't mean a fucking thing because you're yeah, still yeah. going to have it's still going to happen, gonna happen it, yeah. you know and yeah I think there's um, also just just as a side point just to uh, the, the, the chapel because it's meant to be that all over the house I mean you get like you've got like the statue that she sees the shadows reflected yeah. from possibly and sort of various bits around it, but basically the whole place is meant to be just, it's just pervy stuff everywhere. <laughs> so like the mantelpiece is just like sort of like people screwing and stuff like that. Yeah. It's all sort of really, which is probably, you just probably could, A, from a set designer's point of view, is a nightmare and also probably you couldn't get away with. Yeah. But the main thing they definitely, I don't think could have got away with is that in the chapel, uh, the crucified the, the Jesus on the cross yeah. uh, is meant to have a massive hard on okay and yeah I don't think they'd have got away with that no right? I don't think and, and in effect that's when it falls on her when it falls oh. on her it's sort of oh, cut oh, first okay. yeah. in the book which even in the book I'm like that, that's, that's, that's a funny angle you know <laughs> But um, the set design, the the house mm. with that with all those big Art Nouveau mm, arches yeah. and sort of finials, yes, yeah, so it's, nice. It's a great place. I think that's the thing is, is that you, I mean, you'd quite happily, you'd quite happily go there as long as the resonator has been used, yes, and has dissipated everyone. As you say, because of the shape of it all, and because it's all arches and things, despite the fact they have got all the electric light. Mm. Yet so much of that house is still in darkness, you mm-hmm. know. It's which, yeah, which definitely adds to the feeling of there could be anything in the room with them, mm. or you know, right behind them, because it's just it's a great fan. It's, it's great um, set design. Yeah. Mm, which and uh, th- I mean, I will say, uh, oh yeah, there's a, there's another thing. The cat. Oh, so I was going to mention the cat. The cat. <laughs> the cat. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit. It's not quite the uncanny. <laughs> in, with, uh, with the one that attacks her or the one that's outside um, I think the one that's outside is meant to be the one that attacks her as well but oh, obviously he does survive to the end yeah because yeah, there's a dead one in the there's shower, a dead one in the shower yeah. yeah and why did that look like a woman was it just to mess with her bit yeah well it's because that's something that, that that it does really well Is there's the bit where it's the figure in the bed yes mm. that's really well done yeah yeah you know, she just pulls it back and there's nothing there, but it's just like, oh, that's well mm-hmm. fucking done. You know, yeah. you really... Sort of As you say, it wasn't just a lump, it looked like yeah. someone laying on yeah. the side and yeah. shuffling. It's just, really sort of, you know... Yeah, like, I thought they did well with all those effects. Subtle enough. Mm. Yeah. I think again, it's just editing, because it's mm. the way that you see the body from behind, yeah. and then it cuts to her pulling mm. the... And as she pulls it off, obviously the camera's now on the other side of the. Yeah. So they've, they've moved to it. another camera, just yeah, right time and just it. cut yeah. it so that it mm. it, lo- it felt fantastic mm. without having to really do any effects at all. Yes. Yeah. And um, as I say, I mean, uh, in the book, there's a lot more um, visual. You know, everyone has visual perceptions yeah. and stuff like that yeah. of uh, you know, and you they see more. But again. I think that was a good choice. I think it's a brilliant choice. Particularly, I think, when 
because um, oh yeah that's something that I think isn't quite as well done in the movie is that um, uh, Dr. Barrett explains what the resonator like the machine does mm. and but that is before Florence uh, Tanner gives herself up to what she thinks is the mm. spirit of Daniel yeah because she believes that he, uh, he he's going to be just kind of dissipated yeah. because yeah. he has still hasn't left the house. Mm. And so it kind of adds a bit more sort of motivation yeah, to Because she sees yeah. what, um, what's his name, Dr. Barrett? Barrett yeah. yeah, like it, almost he's being evil at that point. Yeah. Why he'd been not caring about yeah. the tortured souls. Exactly. Just being science and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Damn the rest of you. <laughs> well, I, and I think it probably it's probably just because um, the weird thing is I didn't realise is it, it, that came out the same year as the Stone Tape. Oh, really? And they're very it's it's in a similar sort of area. Yeah. Stone Tape. I I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I prefer the Stone Tape, but then I think it's just again the familiarity of it. Yeah. And that's not taking away anything from Legend of Hell House, but. But I think again, they're they're kind of almost in the same ballpark of like, right? Let's let's tackle this scientifically. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's. So that it might have been something that was going on a lot I at the time. Well, I, mean, I think it's. I suppose all electronics was mm. sort of getting big, and you know that they're almost supernatural to a lot of people. Yeah. Anyway. Still so, yeah. yeah. I refer seriously at work, at work. I will just say, what, right? What does that do? And they'll explain. It's like right. No. <laughs> Is it a magic box that I put things in <laughs> and logs things on there? Yes. Fine. Okay. I don't. I can need... live with magic. Yeah. I can live with faith. As long as it's going to do it, I'll, I'll be fine. But um, I think it's probably also because you had like the big, like magic, occult, supernatural explosion in the sort of sixties, like to sort of mid to late sixties. Mm. It really goes. Uh, you know, everyone like. Aliens, von Daniken, yeah, just everything's all sort of there. And then I think the seventies is like lots of people, lots of people in beards and corduroy who were like, "I'm into that," but we're going to look at this scientifically rigorously. Yeah. And unfortunately, by the mid, by sort of like the late seventies, that's probably why you get that sort of that sort of nihilistic drop off at the end of the late seventies because it's like. Oh yeah, we've examined all these, you know, <laughs> euphoric, amazing things, and we've basically boiled down to is what you see is what you get, and pay your taxes. Yeah, <laughs> there is no magic, there is no god, there is no hell. Sorry, <laughs> this is it. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's why things get really dark at <laughs> that point. Yes. So, what did you think of it as, as sort of in a? Uh, yeah, so in as much as how creepy and scary the film was compared to the others that we've seen. Because mm. I say, this was one that really stuck in my head from... Yeah, from right, I, I thought with the effects, and again, not overdoing them, just throughout, and the different mental states, and, like you say, the sound effects throughout, I, I think they did a great job of keeping the intensity and the tension and only really releasing it, uh, you know, mildly at points. Mm. Um yeah, and so it definitely was creepy. I I don't know. See again, it's really hard to sort of, uh, so, uh, I guess like it wasn't quite scary. Again, compared to uh, you know some other horrors that I would mm. think of, but I'm still trying to work out if that's just because I'm too old to 
Yes. I really think it would have done a fantastic job when I was younger. Mm. Yeah. And especially if I was just watching it late at night on my own, I think. Yeah. It would yeah. Have, yeah. Definitely. Had I, the I think that was my my yeah. not my mistake. It was you know it was perfect. That's it was uh, it was such a great yeah. memory. But yeah, midnight on a Friday by mm, candlelight yeah. on yeah, my yeah, own. I think. I think, if <laughs> I, I think I think it's I think it's also a lingerer. Yeah. It's one of those ones that sort of just sort of just gently sits there stroking the back of your brain yeah. for, a, for a few weeks well I think that's yeah. what when I said I, you know certain I, I don't remember it as well as I thought I do I mm. think what it actually is is that some scenes stick in my mind mm. so clearly yeah. because they do play on your mind that I think I remember you know oh well I must have seen the film a dozen times and you yeah. think well I haven't I've seen it three or four mm. times but, but some really bits really stuck, have yeah. stuck with me and yeah. I think you know before some other films had come out I think that would have been quite twisted and mm. yeah very impressive or impression yeah, impressionable Mike, in, in, yeah. yeah Michael Goff's easiest money though I think for that film oh, to, yeah I, again, of all the things he did just sit there do not move mm. you are a statue <laughs> and, and again I mean it's an, it's an odd choice really to pick that bigger to, name well, for just to even just to have someone sat there because mm. they could have just knocked the wall down and there's a skeleton with a set of calipers on yeah, yeah. You know, or like false legs you know yeah. and, but, but well, was that to make it really eerie so that's what I mean, something like that yeah. probably yeah. that was an unusual but if they'd have, but in a weird way again if they'd have gone like a visual effects route and just had a body there might not have been mm. that much cop yeah. but it's just weirder that yeah. there's just like this guy sat there in a fucking smoking jacket yeah and he's still in hand. And and the way that Fisher Fisher knows it's a body, but she doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And he's almost like sort of like, oh, let me introduce you. Mm. But he almost does it. It's almost like a sort of Bond villain reveal or something <laughs> like that. And he's kind of, you know, it's it's a weird one. But again, um, Michael Goth is not credited on the film anywhere. I noticed he wasn't because I was looking out for mm. him in the opening credits. So was, yeah. was it actually? Or was it just a mask of him? No, oh, it's, no, it's, it's definitely him, and it's definitely his voice on, on the recording record, record I don't know, which, which again is is a, a weird thing because you think to yourself, I mean, Michael Goff got an amazing voice. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know him yet. Yeah. Where would I? Ah, he well, does lots of Hammer stuff. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll go, go for I'll, I'll go for the cast. I'll go for your list. We we got a list here. Well, we got Florence Tanner, uh, who uh, played by Pamela Franklin. Um, main sort of mainly I just looked at sort of like the horror stuff she'd done because I yeah. didn't really recognise a lot of a lot of everything else uh, she's in And Soon the Darkness with uh, Michelle Detrice uh, Betty that. from Some Others Do Have Them that's, that's a weird sort of slightly sleazy Euro horror it's these two girls on on bikes going I think it's through Belgium or somewhere like that okay. and they're basically one of them goes missing, but then one of them does, and it's like, so there's something to do with a mental hospital. Is Wait, I mean, do they turn up in an old manor house at some point? One of them wakes up in a manor house. Very and possibly. Lost, I think I might have seen this. Yeah. So there's that. was on the Horror Channel. And uh, I sat, yes, and yes, I sat it was. through like half an hour of it saying, I mean, this is mental, and it there's yes, just, yeah, it was no story. It's just boobs, and I, I gave up. I mean, it's quite, I mean there's there's no complaining there, but you know well, what I mean. But she seems to have sort of specialised in films of this sort of nature, though, because she's also in a film called Necromancy with Orson Welles. Oh, okay. And 
possibly winner of the best title for uh, a film I want to see now Satan's School for Girls I have seen Satan's School for Girls alright she's in that then Um, I don't know how big a role Um, I remember that being a very low budget affair yeah oh no I don't I don't think any of this is really she's in uh, Hammer's The Nanny as well the the thriller with uh, yes now that's a good film with Ben Davis yeah that is is a good good film. film Um, but she and also I spotted she's in an episode of uh, Twilight Zone creator Rod Serling's other TV series The Night Gallery love The Night Gallery it's brilliant isn't it yeah but that leads us into because the first episode of The Night Gallery start Roddy McDowell yes who I discovered has 263 screen credits bloody hell Um, but yeah as I say been in film since he was 10 He's uh, he's all over Planet of the Apes. He was mm-hmm. uh, Cornelius, and then Cornelius's son Caesar in the as they go on, yeah. because yeah, Caesar's born in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which is when they go back in time. But essentially, that means that he creates the race of um, hyper intelligent apes that can speak. Okay, so it's a massive time loop. I love. <laughs> That it just for that, <laughs> and he was also Galen in the TV series of Planet of the Apes, which is what me and Wes used to shout to you during PE. Yes, I remember Galen. That. <laughs> and um, and we said like Friday night. Uh, he was another Vincent because he's the voice of Vincent in the Black Hole, the little uh, rip off R two D two in that rip off Star Wars film. Oh right, okay. yeah. Um, is Twilight Zone, Shock Corridor, Murder She Wrote, Buck Rogers. Poseidon Adventure, Quantum Leap, okay. Columbo. Um, this I thought was really cool is because he did some voice. Uh, he, he's in, he's in the Adam West, one of the Adam West Batman, uh, as a made up for the telly villain called the Bookworm. Oh, cool! And then he sounds like a. It's 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 an just interesting. It's just really bizarre. He the best thing is I remember it because I was obsessed with it as a kid. It was just one of those ones where because I think I think when I was a kid I was just obsessed with Roddy McDowell. <laughs> but only there was only like a few things that he'd been in. I think it was just because he was the voice of the robot in Black Hole. Yeah. And then it would be like now I know you because I know mm. your voice. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when when he was the bookworm, he, if I remember rightly, he's got like a fucking uh, like a. A huge brown leather trench coat, like, like, like sort of floor length, and yeah. he and this is back in the sixties, so he is beanpole thin. Yeah, uh, and a big brown fedora, but with a reading light on it, on a fucking <laughs> on a, like, on a poseable arm, and that's which is yeah, that's just insane. Mm-hmm. But then he's also the voice of the scarecrow in Batman the Animated Series. Okay. And that leads me. See, this is this is this is connected as shit. Yeah, this one. I'm, I'm quite uh, quite. Pre- this leads me on to Clive Revel, who was Doctor Barrett. Yes. Um, who is born in New Zealand? Okay. So I assumed I assumed he was British. To be honest, the last time I think the last time I watched The Legend of Hell House, I assumed he was Barry Foster. You know, from <laughs> yeah. uh, Vanderbilt and yes. stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, he also did voices. He, he's done like loads of voices on series. Including, he's uh, Alfred, to uh, for in Batman the animated series. You know the, the ah, butler, yes, Alfred yes. Pennyworth, which obviously Michael Goff is the is Alfred in 
He's actually, I mean, showing a lot more dedication than most of us gave to the Batman films. Yeah. <laughs> by being in... Because he's in the two Tim Burton ones. Yeah. And then he's in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, I discovered. Yeah. she's like, cool, blimey. I mean, I, give, I always like it when an actor's sort of will stick through. Yeah. But... So I only know because play, I mate. watched them fairly recently. Yeah. We did a weekend and watched all four of them. Oh, cool. I can't remember why. I think it was... Batman Begins or something. Yeah. We would watch something recently. One of the new. Have you ones. seen Batman Begins? <laughs> Christopher Begins plays Batman. No, but I would. Fantastic. I, I, I would definitely them. would. Yeah. So yeah. So Clive Revel. He's also in Bunny Lake is missing. The Assassination Bureau. Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. One of our dinosaurs is missing. Another another th- thing that comes up a lot. He's in Chud Two, but the Chud. Oh God. Let him have it. And Gentleman Broncos. Oh, excellent! Um, Broncos, and he did loads. Uh, like I say, he did the voiceover for uh, did voiceover work for Batman, but he also did Transformers, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Ducktales. But, and this is the one that's going to shock you. His most famous voice acting role is he is the original Emperor Palpatine. Oh, is he really? He's the one in Empire Strikes Back before they redid it. So it's Ian McDermott. Yeah. Yeah, he's the voice of that. There is a great disturbance in the force. Wow, yeah, it's him. Yeah, excellent. I mean, the, the 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 he's not actually the body that they show, but I think that's a woman with a monkey uh, like <laughs> mask strapped on her head or something like that. I read somewhere. So this so this is the actor who plays Emperor Palpatine. Is did you say Ian? Ian McDermott. Yeah, McDermott. and they've gone back and they've right. grafted okay. him in. But in the original Empire Strikes Back, when it's Darth Vader talking to the hologram, yeah, yeah, you just see like that weirdly hooded shape. See, it's funny because I must have not seen an original for a while, but I kind of felt like something had changed. I never Mm. knew what it was, but okay, that explains that. It's one of the. It's one of what I mean. In fairness, I mean, you know, they've done it for continuity's sake, and Mm. going back and fiddling around with them, I suppose it's going to be one of the first things they do. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the same actor in the new ones as well, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's McDermott all the way through. Yeah, Yeah, Darth Sidious. Yeah. yeah. And because the weird thing is, is that he sort of, when he did Return of the Jedi, they really had to make him up to be old. Yeah. But it's just really. But the makeup is so good Mm -hmm. in Return of the Jedi that for years I just assumed he was this really old guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's why yeah, I was surprised when I saw him in the new ones and thought, oh, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. a lot younger yeah, yeah. than me. Yeah. And sort of, yeah, it's just Jenny bizarre. Years ago. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah. So, so what, what else has he been in? Uh, anyway, Ian McDermott. Yeah. Oh, um, Cold Lazarus. Uh, he was in Utopia. Yes, he was. You say he was very good. Oh, what yeah. A horrible show that was. I loved it. Oh, it's wonderful. And it sounds like it should Utopia? be a good show. Yeah. No. Utopia was great. It's one of the most disturbing TV shows I've ever watched. And it was... Is that as it was meant to be genius. Utopia, but actually it's impossible and... It so was... It they would... Uh, I mean, it's, if you if you were to ever watch it, I wouldn't want to spoil it for you, <laughs> but Utopia is something that a group of people are looking to create. Mm. But they... <coughs> but to do it, they have to do some fucking terrible things truly unspeakable yeah. things but it the less you know going into it the okay. better yeah it unfolds yeah because if even if you just tell people roughly what mm. series one is about 
that doesn't start coming to fruition until four or five episodes in. Yeah. So the the less you know, okay. as soon as you think you've got a handle on it, it suddenly just switches and becomes something and completely mm. different. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, a, an amazing. They did two series of it, didn't they? There was meant to be a third, but it got cancelled. And instead, they made Humans, which I have to say is a show that I think is pretty shit. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to do the show, and it's going to be about what if you're a robot and you've got emotions? And it's like, yeah, I've read sci fi and I've done for many years. And <laughs> frankly, you're not going to come up with anything new, are you? And they didn't. This well, is not Blade Runner. No. Thank you very much. That's actually, have you seen that? Only in Covenant, like. The buses going around with like the thing on it, and they've got from the director of The Martian. And it's like fuck off, from the director of Blade Runner and the first Alien. <laughs> Don't be a, do you know? It's <laughs> yeah, of all the things to pick. I up. mean, even, even the fact they've ignored Gladiator. I mean, it's not really my cup of tea, but it, it was, was a big it film. Was a big film for a very long time. But I just yeah, when I saw that, I was like, you are kidding. You know, that's <laughs> mental. And yeah. Amber, uh, the, the, oh, yes. the, the the doctor's lovely wife, who looks like Eva Green, who does look a bit like Eva Green, and he said it. Um, she links again, linking back to um, last time with people who've been in the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett. Oh yes, she's a Rainer Adler. Yes, gambling behaviour. Yes, she is. So again, another important canonical figure within Sherlock Holmes is is in a horror film. There we go. I knew I knew her from somewhere. I've seen that fairly recently, so that's why she's... Yeah. She's, um... Uh, mostly, she did a lot of mini-series. Apparently, there's an adaption of The Martian Chronicles that her and Robin McDowell are in. Oh, right, cool. Um, and she was in... Uh, she also had a recur- recurring role in Dallas. Oh. Um, oh, this is an interesting one. Mr. Deutsch, the old boy who wants to know if there's life after death. Yes. Um, he well, he was played by a guy called uh, Roland uh, Culver. Hmm. Um, roles including he's in Dead of Night, uh, like the, the original yeah. Dead of Night, uh, Thunderbolt, and he's in The Uncanny or The Uncanny, the Uncanny. with Mr. Peter Cushing. Yes, um, but yeah, he um, but in the book, and this is something that I think kind of that. I think it would have probably been something a bit too odd to put in the film mm. but in the book it's just perfect and at one point um, they're ringing up like um, Barrett's ringing up to say because all the, all the time through they're ringing backwards and forwards because um, like I say in the book they haven't got any electricity for the first night and also um, there's an elderly couple who keep coming from the local village to deliver food yeah. so they're not doing their own meals from the larder or anything like that and it's meant to be that the house has been literally sealed for all this time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, <coughs> but they've got, like, a telephone that links to uh, his, like, assistant, like, Peter Bowles, the Peter Bowles yeah. character. Um, and on the 20... I think it's the 24th when they actually... It is the 24th when he sets off the resonator, isn't yeah. it? Because, yeah. Um, he rings through and is saying about, oh, you know, we need to get... Miss um, Tanner's body removed, and we've got this going yeah. on, we've got that going on, and he doesn't reply for a bit, and he's going hello, and he says right, um, sorry, they've asked me not to say this, but I think it's really unfair. Uh, just to let you know, Mister Dewitch died, 
And so he never actually is going to find out what the thing is. Oh, right. And also in the book, they have Mr. Deutsch's son, who basically sort of collars Barrett on his way out and just says, look, this is a load of old flim-flam and don't take money off my old man because I don't believe any of this crap. <laughs> and basically, Barrett gets told, because this guy just goes, well, I was his assistant. I think I'm for the chop. He ain't going to pay you. Okay. And so they never get they would never get any of the money or anything like that for it as well. So it's just it's just one more kick in the tits. Yeah, you know, yeah. During, during the thing, and it it works really well in the book. But I think, like you say, to keep the intensity going mm. in the film, that's just a weird that is a bit weird and a bit disconnected yeah. to try and do it that way. You saying about the people coming in from the village? That it's funny. I don't know why it struck me, but for some reason it just did. <coughs> yeah, the scene of them the first morning that they're there, mm. where it comes up, it's the 21st, it's 7.30am, mm. and it's, yeah, Tanner comes down and he's already sitting having breakfast, and the first thing that went through my mind is, well, who cooked all that? Yeah. He didn't get up and cook all that food for them, and I don't think he likes them very much, no. I don't know. <laughs> not enough, not enough, <laughs> yeah, it's, but... But again, that's the because th- also when he when, like when the psychic uh, when that the um, po- sort of poltergeist activity for want of a better word is directed at him. Mm. Obviously, he's already on a cane. So mm, yeah. as as so as as the book progresses, he is basically getting more and more fucked up all the way through it, <laughs> which again is like distancing him and his wife because. He literally has to go off and snooze all the fucking time mm. because he can't. Yeah, can't he's physically up, yeah. fucked. You know, it, um, it gave her a hint at that. She, yeah, because she said, "Oh, he's asleep again." Asleep yeah, yeah. again. And uh, has to be said, it's the usual thing in horror movies, though. When someone goes nympho, though, she looks a lot better. <laughs> it's the hair. Well, the hair down. <laughs> and then obviously, uh, Peter Bowles really briefly in it, um, who's just been in so many fucking sitcoms I was going to say he's a staple of TV uh, only when I laugh executive stress perfect scoundrels the bounder piss off spider Um, he wasn't in piss off spider that was a a new series I'm developing with this spider And um, Ron Polar Bailey to the Man of Bone. The Bloody Good Life was he in the Bloody Good Life? No, he wasn't in the Bloody Good Life. I mean, my no, I don't think he was because I was scanning through. Uh, He did have he was in Rising Damp, uh, Saint, The Prisoner, The Avengers, I Claudius, Life of Rock with Brian Pearl. He played Brian's dad in that fairly recently, so he's still going. And I've put here. Primarily playing either posh or more often posh and dodgy. <laughs> and then obviously, yeah, you've got Michael Goff, uh, Michael Goff, and bringing bringing it all the way back, we got just some of the fucking films: Horror Dracula, Horrors of the Black Museum, the 1962 Phantom of the Opera, Doctor Terrace House of Horror, Love that. The Skull, The Crimson Cult, Serpent and the Rainbow, Sleepy Hollow, Let Him Have It. Um, he invented the Cybernauts in uh, the Avengers. Uh, oh, really? In, in, and which would like uh, recur. Oh, and weirdly, they were a recurring villain. And his brother avenged his death in a later episode. And his brother was played by Peter Cushing. Huh? So we're back to the Cush. <coughs> and uh, he's also been. He's played villains in Doctor Who twice. He was in. He fought the first Doctor in the Celestial Toy Maker. Um, and then he was uh, opposite 
Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, in Ark of, Infin- Ark of Infinity. Uh, where he was a treacherous time lord. Yes. And, very, and, v- and v- a VGT, very good too. <laughs> yeah, see, I think I remember him primarily from uh, Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. Mm. Um, yeah, he's in that great one with... It's that one that he's in with Christopher Lee, isn't it, about the artist? Yeah, because he's, he's the artist who, who brings out the monkey. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but the sight of Peter Goff bringing out a monkey just makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me almost as happy as the monkey in the video for Elected by Alice Cooper. Oh, my God. Elected! Because yeah. it's just when he comes in with a wheelbarrow full of cash. <laughs> it's like, oh, I want that monkey. I want that monkey to bring me cash. <laughs> Either Johnny or any sort of cat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I looked up the director because I wasn't sure, uh, but he also did Twins of Evil with Peter Cushing. Oh yes, and this, this is like Pit. Pit uh, Twins of Evil. No, no, no. It's the two. It's those two twin Swedish models that they overdone. Yeah, it? but it's part yeah. of the Karnstein trilogy. But it's yes, the only one that Ingrid Pitt's not, not in. I think. Yeah. yeah, that's probably why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Other horror films were The Incubus, um, America, a nineteen eighty eight movie called American Gothic with Rod Steiger and uh, Von DiCarlo. Oh Louis yes, Munster. I've not oh. seen I've not oh. seen it, but I do mean to see it because oh. it's got a Von DiCarlo in it. And Howling Four, the original Nightmare. Oh, I never made it to three. No, for, oh come on, you got to watch the Marsupials. No, I don't oh, need. To, I don't need to see the Marsupials. The Marsupials is great. Right, so Howling, the werewolf series of films, and you got uh, Howling, uh, the Howling. Then you've got Howling Two, My Sister Is a Werewolf with Pete yeah, Cushing, with, with Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee, sorry, yeah. And then you've got Howling Three, the Marsupials, <laughs> which is set in Australia because in Australia they have a pouched wolf. And I'm sorry, but it's werewolf. It is called the Marsupials. That's that's a good. That's a good enough reason, as far as I'm bloody concerned. One day, one day, yeah, when I watch it, one day. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I will. I know it. He also he also directed Biggles, which I discovered oh, again. God, Peter I Cushing that from my childhood. Peter Cushing's last film, Biggles. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also did loads of stuff for Disney. Escape to Witch Mountain and its first sequel. Started to watch that the other day. Return from yeah. Witch Mountain. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never seen him, but it's one. It's one of those ones that just crops up all the time. Something called The Watcher in the Woods, which was described as a family horror. Yes, <coughs> I I used to see that a lot as a kid. Is it got Betty Davis or somebody? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah, I have I have got it somewhere because I decided I needed to own it. Watcher so in the Woods. I bought it. That sounds like a very unfamily horror. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it it's, sounds a bit. It's if I remember correctly, it's a girl. Go some girls are playing a game like a witchcrafty game and one of the girls disappears and her spirit lives in the woods and is trying to contact the girl in the house mm. through writing in misted up glass and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I remember loving it as a kid, but at a point that I was so young that it sort of sets off memories, but not enough that I could... Mm. tell you anything else about what happened and I only remember that because mm. I remember the name and I watched the trailer and every part of the trailer was triggering memories from mine mm. right but, but yeah so so he, he worked he threw a lot in with Disney and sort of did a few and was meant to do the black hole but didn't so I'll tell you what else I got a lot of memories of watching this which yeah. I, I kept 
trying to stifle a laugh because I didn't want to spoil the atmosphere for Chris. Um, a bloodbath at the house of death. <laughs> I didn't realise just how much bloodbath oh, at the house of death yeah. ripped this film off. Do you know the worst part is? Is I was actually thinking there were two kills from Bloodbath and House of Death that I thought were in this until I remembered that there's only like three, there's only like four people in it. But there was sort of bits. Was like, oh yeah, there's that bit where that happens. I said, no, that's Kenny Everett. That's what you're talking about, you mental. Where's the woman with the big wooden church on her head? Oh yeah, Bloodbath at the House of Death was a Kenny Everett and <laughs> Pamela Stevenson yeah. movie. Uh, it's a spoof, a horror spoof. But one that you like? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's good. It's Vincent Price, isn't it? Vincent Price is. I'm not a big fan of spoofs okay. generally. But that one is fun. But it is one of the most surreal. It's the mm. cello on the toilet. That's the, that's the killer for me every time. It's, but, um, it's just such a, a completely odd yeah. mental film. Um, a, a lot of the jokes, watching it back now, a lot of the jokes don't work so well now. But what, as well as they did when you were younger, or I think times have changed. Really, it's a lot of it was that old British humour. It's a, it's a mm. bit sort of, it's a bit carry on. Yeah, yeah, it is, okay. yeah. But but not no, not, in, not not in too bad a way I don't oh, think. No, and Vincent Price is brilliant. Can hear great in it. But yeah, but it is the same thing because it's the uh, group of people go to the house, uh, but one of them is a scientist who's got a big machine. Big machine, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's that that was, <laughs> that was what was getting me confused because I was waiting for <laughs> Gareth Hunt and <laughs> next to him. Start rubbing his leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Completely. Uh, uh, side note: I um I follow um Tony Wash from Scotchworthy Productions. Mm. He made it's my party in Old Life. I want yeah. to and um yeah, and uh, he put a thing up once on Facebook at what would for them have been two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. Just going, just turn the TV on. This thing is on, and of course not. Yeah. Obviously, he lives in uh, Chicago, so he's not he's not au fait at all no. with British humour or comedy. Yeah. No idea who Kenny Everett is, and he was just like, "What the mm. fuck is this film? I have no idea." And rest of it's a great film. You should watch it. And he's like, um, "No," because <laughs> that was that was that was a weird one as well. Because that ended up as a lost film for ages. Did like, they didn't think there was a negative. They eventually found it by accident at some place that was closing down. I think it was like the the original, like the original printers still had negative of it, oh and they accidentally. But for but for like yeah, that was. But to think that something like something so, I mean, it's not that recent now. I mean, it's now thirty odd years or whatever. Yeah. But to think that something that appeared within our lifetime. Could be completely like, lost, and there is not a single copy yeah, of it. In but to history. be like Chimes of Mid, um, London After Midnight, yeah. And you sort of think, but London After Midnight, you expect it to be lost because it's kind of so old, and yeah. you know, there, there's probably no one who's ever seen. But you know, there's people who've been to the cinema to see this, and it's yeah. lost. That's just insane. Kenny Everett and Vincent Price how could you know nobody ever have a copy of it held somewhere yeah it, it is worrying frankly it worries me worries me so much 
Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, mm. for the next one, is it... What's the date? It is the 4th. So we are going to be heading into end-of-the-month territory. And what, what was that significant? We were staying for the birthday celebration... Yeah. Yeah, what's it going to be? Myself and yourself, we yeah. were going to go slightly off-piste into potentially. Well, it is non-horror. It does have a lot of supernatural oh, e- elements. We were going to watch John Big Carpenter. Trouble in yeah, China. Yeah. I, th- I think, not being funny, I think you can watch Starman on a horror podcast just because. <laughs> is it Starman? I'm thinking of the, John, the, John Carpenter's yeah. first one. Yeah. yeah, because I just think. John Carpenter's involved. Mm. Yeah. I'm immediately it's like, right, that just resonates horror with me. Although it isn't horror, it's, you know, the, the three storms and that whole, like, it's definitely got horror tropes to mm. it. Lopan is horror. Yeah. The the wild man, as they describe him, is horror. The wild man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what. Mm. Orangutan thing, I always yeah, call it. Yeah, that's <laughs> don't spoil it Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if we're going to go with that next time. Okay. Um, mm. So, forewarned is forearmed, fans. It's myself and Chris's birthdays around that time. So, this is our celebrationary episode. There will be drinking. Um, I've discovered recently that if I drink and do this, I'm fine remembering dates and films I cannot remember names yeah but you're like that anyway you know it's funny oh yes yeah. thingy thingy what's your name what's your name yeah. I'm married to you what yeah, <laughs> yeah names are, are the bad but again hopefully it's it's going to be good and you'll have your crib sheets so we'll be I, I, absolutely do you know what I genuinely think that I could be utterly fucked and I probably wouldn't need the crib sheet for Big, for big Little China. In China. But I will still have one. Because who knows? I cannot wait. Excellent. So, final thoughts, Chris, on uh, this evening's movie. Would you watch it again? Yeah, I, I definitely would. Yeah? Yeah. On your own, in the dark? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good. And I'd just like to say that I think that Belasco's is a lovely term for breasts. <laughs> I thought you could say a good name for a bar. Belasco's, I guess it's quite a bar, but I was just, I was just thinking about Pete wandering uh, wander around with the Belasco's and jangling and jiggling. <laughs> but, yeah. Also, just before we stop, though, I will have to say, is it not the most fucking mental explanation as well? It's like... like the legs thing. The, 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 you know, he was just... He was basically... Because... The book, he insults him a lot more. <laughs> he did start to give it. You know, yeah, it's, like, it's, like, it's like short ass, half pint. <laughs> it really, really goes to town, you know. And it's just a very weird motivation. It's like, right, I'm going to cut my legs off, put big ones on, and then I'm going to turn this place into like essentially a, a massive knocking shop, like 20 <laughs> days of Sodom. Interesting. Mm. Cool. Right. Thanks very much for listening, people. Thank and uh, we shall see you next time. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Yay. Bye-bye.